Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday morning, April 18th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Would definitely recommend you to go go on over there. There are near 60 different podcasts, very, very carefully curated, so you don't have to worry about the content. Um, and cover wide variety of subjects. So um, a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ over there working very, very hard to provide you solid content. So I would definitely recommend you go over there. Um, believe me, you'll run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to. Um, I want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, What we are trying to do is rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a safe alternative within our um, community to provide. Um, So go ahead and click on the link. You'll get a much more thorough description than I just gave you, obviously. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully um, consider giving to us. And we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on um, in our Bible reading uh, through through our chapters. We've got a good number. We've got three different chapters in Joshua um, to read today. And then for the evening segment, we will be continuing on in our Bible study in the Gospel of John in chapter 7. So let's go ahead and open up this morning. We're going to be opening up uh, using our third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. All right, let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its married creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, in our Tuesday morning devotion, uh, the devotion for April 18th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it for the morning one is Joshua from Joshua 2.21. She bound the scarlet line in the win- window. It's talking about the woman, um, talking about Rahab, who protected the, the spies from Israel in Jericho. So, Rahab depended for her preservation upon the promise of the spies, whom she looked upon as the representatives of the God of Israel. Her faith was simple and firm, but it was very obedient. To tie the scarlet line in the window was a very trivial act in itself, but she dared not run the risk of omitting it. Come, my soul, is there not here a lesson for thee? Hast thou been attentive to all thy Lord's will, even though some of his commands should seem non-essential? Hast thou observed in his in his own way, the two ordinances of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper? These neglected argue much unloving disobedience in thy heart. Be henceforth in all things blameless, even to the tying of a thread, if that be be matter of command. This act of Rahab sets forth a yet more solemn lesson. Have I implicitly trusted in the precious blood of Jesus? Have I tied the scarlet cord as with a Gordian knot in my window, so that my trust can never be removed? 
Or can I look out towards the Dead Sea of my sins, or the Jerusalem of my hopes, without seeing the blood and seeing all things in connection with its blessed power? The passerby can see a cord of so conspicuous a color. If it hangs from the window, it will be well for me if my life makes the efficacy of the atonement conspicuous to all onlookers. What is there to be ashamed of? Let men or devils gaze if they will. The blood is my boast and my song. My soul, there is one who will see that scarlet line, even when from weakness of faith thou canst not see it thyself. Jehovah, the avenger, will see it and pass over thee. Jericho's walls fell flat. Rahab's house was on the wall, and yet it stood unmoved. My nature is built into the wall of humanity, and yet when destruction smites the race, I shall be secure. My soul, tie the scarlet thread in the window afresh, and rest in peace. Wow. Good one from Spurgeon. Not that any of them are really bad, but but that one, a very, 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 very poignant one. All right, well, we're going to start our reading. Uh, we're going to be reading Joshua 16, 17, and 18, uh, first 27 verses of Luke 19, Psalm 87, and Proverbs 13, verse 11. So, Joshua 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the lot for the sons of Joseph went out from the Jordan at Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east into the wilderness, going up from Jericho through the hill country to Bethel. And it went out from Bethel to Luz and passed on to the border of the Archites at Adaroth. Then it went down westward to the territory of the Japhletites, as far as the territory of lower Beth Horon, even to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance. Now this was the territory of the sons of Ephraim, according to their families. The border of their inheritance eastward was Adaroth Adar, as far as upper Beth Horon. Then the border went westward at Mikmethoth, Mikmethath on the north, and the border turned about eastward to Tanath Shiloh, and passed on beyond it to the east of Genoa. And it went down from Genoa to Adaroth, and to Nara, Naara, and reached Jericho, and came out at the Jordan. From Tapua, the border continued westward to the brook of Cana, and it ended at the sea. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, together with the cities which were set apart for the sons of Ephraim, in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. But they did not dispossess the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Joshua 17. And this was the lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. To Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, was allotted Gilead and Bashan, because he was a man of war. So the lot was made for the rest of the sons of Manasseh, according to their families, for the sons of Abiezer, for the sons of Helek, and for the sons of Azrael, and for the sons of Shishem, and for the sons of Hefer, and for the sons of Shemida. These were the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the males according to their families. However, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. And these are the names of their daughter, of his daughters, Mala, excuse me, Mala and Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the leaders, saying, Yahweh commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So according to the word of Yahweh, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Thus there fell ten portions to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is beyond the border, because the daughters of Manasseh received, I'm sorry, beyond the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his, sorry, among his sons, and the land of Gilead belonged to the rest of the sons of Manasseh. And the border of Manasseh ran from Asher to Mikmethoth, which was east of Shishem. Then the border went southward to the inhabitants of Entapua. The land of Tapua belonged to Manasseh, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the sons of Ephraim. And the border went down to the brook of Cana. Southward of the brook, these cities belonged to Ephraim among the cities of Manasseh. And the border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. The south side belonged to Ephraim, and the north side to Manasseh. And the sea was their border, and they reached to Asher on the north, and to Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, 
Manasseh had Beth Shean and its town, and Iblim and its town, and the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, and the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, and the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns. The third is Nepheth. But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities, because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. Now it happened that when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not dispossess them completely. Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am a numerous people whom Yahweh has thus far blessed? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. There is the land of the Perizzites and of the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it, and to its farthest borders it shall be yours, for you shall dispossess the Canaanites even though they have chariots of iron, and even though they are strong. Joshua 18 Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh, and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land... (sighs) It's been a long day. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which Yahweh the God of your fathers has given you? Provide for yourselves three men from each tribe that I may send them, and that they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of it according to their inheritance. Then they shall return to me, and they shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall stay in its territory in the south, and the house of Joseph shall stay in their territory on the north. So you shall write a description of the land in seven divisions, and bring the description here to me. I will cast lots for you here before Yahweh our God. For the Levites have no portion among you, because the priesthood of Yahweh is their inheritance. Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh also have received their inheritance eastward beyond the Jordan, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave them. Then the men arose and went, and Joshua commanded those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and write a description of it, and return to me. Then I will cast lots for you here before Yahweh and Shiloh. So the men went and passed through the land and wrote a description of it by cities in seven divisions in a book. And they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before Yahweh. And there Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to their divisions. Now the lot of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot lay between the sons of Judah and the sons of, ben- of Joseph. And their border on the north side was from the Jordan, then the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north, and went up through the hill country westward, and it ended at the wilderness of beth Aven. From there the border passed on to Luz, to the side of Luz, that is Bethel, southward, and the border went down to Adaroth Adar, near the hill which lies on the south of lower Beth Then the border curved from there and turned round on the west side southward, from the hill which lies before Beth southward, and it ended at Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jarim, a city of the sons of Judah. This was the west side. Then the south side was from the edge of Kiriath-Jarim, and the border went out westward and went out to the fountain of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the border went down to the edge of the hill, which is in the valley of Beth-Hinnom, which is, the valley of Re- is in the valley of Rephaim, northward. And it went down to the valley of Hinnom, to the slope of the Jebusite southward, and went down to En-Rogel. Then it curved northward and went out to En-Shemesh, and went out to Geliloth, which is opposite the ascent of Adumim, and it went down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then it continued to the side in front of the Arabah northward, and went down to the Arabah. And the border passed on to the side of Beth Hogla northward, and the border ended at the north bay of the Salt Sea at the south end of the Jordan. This was the south border. Moreover, the Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families and according to its borders all around. 
Now the cities of the tribes of the son of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho and Beth Hogla, and Emek Kaziz, and Beth Arabah, and Zimaram, and Bethel, and Avim, and Pera, and Ophrah, and Shephar, Ammoni, and Ophni, and Jeba, twelve cities with their villages, Gibeon, and Ramah, and Beeroth, and Mizpah, and Shephirah, and Moza, and Rechim, and Irpil, and Taralah, and Zilah, Haleph, and the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, Kiriath, fourteen cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families. All right, Luke 19, we're going to read the first 27 verses. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on before and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have extorted anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And it happened that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him, so that he might know how much they had made in, in business. So the first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a cloth. For I was afraid of you, because you are a strict man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, From your own mouth I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am a strict man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. And after he had said, oh, sorry, that's the end of it for that. All right. And Psalm 87. Of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. His foundation is on the holy, is in the holy mountains. Yahweh loves the gates of Zion, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born here, but of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. Yahweh will count when he registers the peoples. This one was born he, born there, Selah. And singers, just like the dancers, will all say, All my springs are in you. And finally, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth obtained from empty effort dwindles, but the one who gathers with his hand abounds. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. Um, thank you for spending this time with me. I, I hope this time um, in the word of the Lord um, is edifying for you. It, it helps you to stay saturated in the word because we all need to. That's that's kind of a command. Um, I, w I would pray that we would all be like Bunyan, um, John Bunyan, a Puritan. Um, they talked about him, that he was so saturated with the Bible that if you cut him, 
he would bleed Bibline. He would bleed the Bible. Um, and we all need to be like that, especially in the world we're living in now. Believe me, this was a man who ended up in and out of prison because he would not stop preaching the gospel. So, um, you know, um, I would pray that it would lead us to be, be as he is. So, all right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We are going to go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called God the All. Let's pray. O God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying thee and being engaged in thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me thou makest them and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is, or should be in all respects. And if thou bidst me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to thee. For thou art infinitely wise and cannot do amiss. As I am in danger of doing, I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns wholly into praise, and all I can do is to adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, knowing not what to do. I long to make some return, but have nothing to offer, and can only rejoice that thou doest all, that none in heaven or on earth shares thy honor. I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can through grace cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, that the whole work of redemption is thine alone, that every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and grace, that thy sole motive in working in me to will and to do is for thy good pleasure. O God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness, when, if thou didst not hold us back, every moment we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast taught me concerning myself. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you for spending this time with me. Again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, April 17th, or April 18th, excuse me, episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible study. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We're going to go ahead and open up with prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to use from Valley of Vision to open up is called Reproofs. Let's pray. O merciful God, when I hear of disagreeable things amongst Christians, it brings an additional weight and burden on my spirit. I come to thee in my distress and make lamentable complaint. Teach me how to take reproofs from friends, even though I think I do not deserve them. Use them to make me tenderly afraid of sin, more jealous over myself, more concerned to keep heart and life unblameable. Cause them to help me to reflect on my want of spirituality, to abhor myself, to look upon myself as unworthy, and make them beneficial to my soul. May all thy people know how little, mean, and vile I am, that they may see I am nothing, less than nothing, to be accounted nothing, that so they may pray for me aright, and have not the least dependence upon me. It is sweet to be nothing, and have nothing, and to be fed with crumbs from thy hands. Blessed be thy name for anything that life brings. How do poor souls live who have not thee, or when helpless have no God to go to? who feel not the constraining force of thy love and the sweetness of communion. Oh, how admirably dost thou captivate the soul, making all desires and affections center on thee. Give me such vivacity in religion that I may be able to take all reproofs from other men, as from thy hands, and glorify thee for them, from a sense of thy beneficent love and of my need to have my pride destroyed. Amen. All right, the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for April 18th, the text for it is from Genesis 32:12, And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. 
When Jacob was on the other side of the brook Jabbok, and Esau was coming with armed men, he earnestly sought God's protection, and as a and and as a master reason he pleaded, And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. O oh, the force of that plea! He was holding God to his word, Thou saidst. The attribute of God's faithfulness is a splendid horn of the altar to lay hold upon, but the promise which has in it the attribute of something more is a yet mightier holdfast. Thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. And has he said, and shall he not do it? Let God be true, and every man a liar. Shall not he be true? Shall he not keep his word? Shall not every word that cometh out of his lips stand fast and be fulfilled? Solomon at the opening of the temple used this same mighty plea. He pleaded with God to remember the word which he had spoken to his father David, and to bless that place. When a man gives a promissory note, his honor is engaged. He signs his hand, and he must discharge it when the due time comes, or else he loses credit. It shall ever never be said that God dishonors his bills. The credit of the Most High never was impeached, and never shall be. He is punctual to the moment. He never is before his time, but he never is behind it. Search God's word through, and compare it with the experience of God's people, and you shall find the two tally from the first to the last. Many a hoary patriarch has said with Joshua, Not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass. If you have a divine promise, you need not plead it with an if. You may urge it with certainty. The Lord meant to fulfill the promise or he would not have given it. God does not give his words merely to quiet us and to keep us hopeful for a while with the intention of putting us off at last. But when he speaks, it is because he means to do as he has said. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on, our, continuing on in our Bible study of John chapter 7. Um, all right. And what I'm going to do, so our next section is actually verses 37 through 52. It's kind of through the the very the next to last verse in the chapter um because the the last verse the the chapter and verse breakups here are not very good um it leads into the the last verse of the chapter leads into a story in the beginning of the next chapter so i'm not sure why they broke there um not not trying to judge them just so but what i'm going to do is i'm going to go ahead and read you verses 37 through 52 and then we'll go ahead and get going with our bible study so again remember He's at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's preaching and teaching. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from, this, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This truly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, No, for is the Christ going to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them were wanting to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken like this. The Pharisees then answered them, Have you also been led astray? Have any of the rulers of the uh, or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he, Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing? They answered him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. All right. So we, we've worked through a couple of different sections here. Um, so, you know, as we started chapter seven, we dealt with the divine timetable where the brothers were trying to get him to go up to this feast with them and the big crowd. And, you know, hey, it's the time you can like we talked about um, probably some motivation of you can expand your ministry. You can expand the people you've got. Um, you know, you can make a bigger impact that, you know, thinking from a pragmatic point and, you know, and you can understand that. Um, but they're just not grasping what Jesus is doing. So he says, no, this is not the time. So he comes up halfway through the feast, which was his time, which was God's proper time. Um, 
So then, then we saw the the claims of Christ. We saw the claims of Christ. Um, we saw that you know his knowledge, where his knowledge came from, and it came from God. We saw his surety, that surety that the person who is truly striving to do the will of God would understand that what he, what Jesus is preaching is the word of God. It's not somebody else's word. It's not some made up word. It's not some some opinion that he's giving, but it's the word of God. And we saw his selflessness, Christ's selflessness, that he was doing God's will first, that God's will, doing God's will and honoring God came first before himself. And then we saw the sentence that Jesus pronounced upon the crowd there in Jerusalem, um, that he made clear that they, they were behaving inappropriately based on their own law. They were behaving inappropriately, um, that, that they just were not treating him appropriately. They were not handling this situation per their own laws. And then we saw the signs we saw where he compared to the Jewish leadership, um, circumcision and his healing the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been lame for 38 years and how, you know, how ridiculous it was. I mean, it was basically pointing out how ridiculous it was that the Jewish leadership was totally okay with circumcising somebody on the eighth day. If that was a Sabbath day after their birth, um, to ensure that they were clean, but you couldn't heal somebody on the Sabbath, which is kind of a extension of Sabbath. I mean, it's ridiculous. So we saw that. So those were the claims. And then we saw the reactions to the claims of Christ. We saw the dense confusion. Um, (laughs) they were, they were so confused because here was this guy who had walked up into the outer court and was teaching, was, was sitting there teaching. In the, in the middle of all these rabbis who that's normally where they would teach, he walks right up in there and they're going, wait a minute, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? So you realize they actually know that that, that they're trying to kill him, at least some of them do, that, that the leadership is trying to kill him. Isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? And yet he's being allowed to do all this. So they're really confused because the leadership hasn't really come down on it. And of course, we'll see, we'll see as we work through this next section where, um, We'll finally, well, anyways, so, but we saw that confused. Oh, oh, I know where I was going with that. Sorry. I stumbled a little bit there mentally, um, but they were so confused because the leadership hadn't actually put out an opinion. They hadn't voiced their opinion of Jesus Christ. They hadn't, they hadn't said anything yet. Not, not officially. Now, yeah. Some knew they were trying to kill him, but they hadn't publicly come out and made a statement. You know, you know how that is. Um, especially in our world today, somebody coming out and having to make a statement. Um, so they hadn't done that. So they were really confused. But then on on Friday, we saw the divided conviction on this last Friday. We saw the divided conviction. We saw some that that believed or believing, starting to believe he was the Messiah, and some that still wanted to grab hold of him, who wanted to um, seize him. Um, to do what? I don't know. Kill him himself, turn him into the Pharisees, who knows? But they wanted to seize him. They didn't want him to continue teaching. And then last night, we came to the last section of the reaction to the claims of Christ, the derisive contempt, that they were just so derisive, they were so nasty towards him. Um, you know, where does this man intend to go? that we should all, we will not find him. Is he intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Basically, is he going to go teach the Gentiles? You know, that's basically what they're asking. And they mean it as an insult. Um, and then they're like, what is this statement that he said, you'll seek me and will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. They're, they're saying this in sarcasm. They're like, this is gobbledygook. What is he talking about? And the, part of it's because they're just not getting it. The, these are people like, like Jesus said, these are people that are not striving to truly do the will of God. So they're not understanding what Jesus is saying. I mean, and, and Jesus himself says, you know, get to the point. There's enough people that are hardening them as har- their hearts and, and are not registering how major these, these uh, miracles are and what these miracles mean, that he is the Christ, the son of God, um, that he's the Messiah, that he proceeds to continue on teaching in parable explaining the true meaning or, you know, the clear meaning to the, to the, to the disciples, but to the rest of the people, all they get is a parable, you know, all they get is the parable. So again, they're very, very derisive, which brings us into what, what we're dealing with today. 
So, um, sorry, I need to swap something over here. That didn't work either. There we go. So the section I read you today, um, Dr. MacArthur, and I've told you this before, um, my titles and subtitles and stuff, I'm taking right out of MacArthur's commentary. I'm not trying to plagiarize. I'm being right up front that they're, that that's where I'm taking them from. Honestly, it makes, it makes this easier putting together this Bible study. So I apologize if that bothers you. Um, it just truly, it makes the, makes the job easier, um, makes me able to accomplish a little bit more. But so what, what John MacArthur calls this next section is answering life's ultimate question. So what he sees this and what his point is, and I, and I, and I, I, I see it too, as I read through it. So that's part of why I use it. It's not just that I blatantly blindly follow it, but in, in my reading of him and my reading of Sproul's commentary on this, and then in my reading, sorry, I'm having to adjust here. My legs are bothering me. Um, and my reading of Matthew Henry's, I mean, going back to a Puritan, it fits the same way. Um, and he calls it answering life's ultimate question, answering life's ultimate question. And life's ultimate question, what MacArthur talks about is, how are you going to deal with Christ? How are you going to, how are you going to deal with Jesus Christ? That's the ultimate question. How are you going to deal with them? And so we're going to see, um, I, I mean, and actually even the header here in the Legacy Standard Bible, starting in verse 40. So verse 37 through 39 is the invitation. It's the invitation by Jesus. And then 40 through 52 is the division of people over Jesus. And that's the thing. And what we're going to do over the next couple of evenings is we're going to see the breakdowns of the different people, the different way people are are dealing with this Jesus. I mean, it, it doesn't take a brainchild. You know, you get into 40 in the beginning of 41. Some of them saying this is truly the prophet. This is the Christ. Okay. You know, that that's obvious. This is how they're answering it. These are people who are, tr who are truly establishing a saving faith. They truly believe he's Jesus Christ, the son of God. So we're going to see that and we're going to work through these, those verses over the next couple of evenings, God willing. Um, but so what we're going to address today is this invitation in verses 37 through 39. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read back through it real quick and then we'll start, we'll start working our way through this. So verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood, stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So let's talk about a few things first. So when did this happen? So again, he can't, he comes up to the feast, the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles is called both. Um, and the booths or tabernacles were tents that they would stay in. They'd build on their roofs and their courtyards and the streets, whatever. And they would stay in that. That's what it was about. Um, and it was a memory in memory of their travels in their, the 40 year Exodus. Okay. So that's what this is about. Um, so again, he comes up in the middle of, of it and he goes to teaching. So here we are on the last day, the great day of the feast. Um, I, you know, people argue, people, um, theologians have argued, was it this, the seventh day or the eighth day? The way the feast was typically celebrated is there was a Sabbath, a, a big celebration, and then six days, six days in between of celebration, different kind of celebration. And then the this eighth day, which was another Sabbath, just like our weeks are, you know, you've got Sunday and then six days and then Sunday. So that last one would be the big celebration, the final celebration, and it would be pretty huge. So, um, you know, there's some debate are, is he, is John here speaking of the seventh day or the eighth day? Um, I don't know that it really matters. I would assume the eighth day, uh, the great day of the feast that tended to be the bigger celebration, the biggest celebration at the end there. Um, you know, and they're celebrating and thank you for the, you know, thank you to God for, you know, bringing us through providing the manna, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and bringing us here into the promised land and all of that. So, it would be that last day. I would, I'm going to assume because of the way this is written, that it's that last day. So um, where did it happen? Again, like I said, 
he's in the outer court where the teaching usually goes on. Okay, so he's in the outer court of the temple. It's where the teaching usually goes on. But then we see Jesus. He Jesus stood and cried out. So l- let's clarify something because it's really easy. You know, one, two, three, four, five, five words, and it's easy for us to just blow by them. I mean, I mean, believe me. The reason I always bring that up is because I used to do that. I used to blow straight through, you know, little phrases like this, and you miss so much. So the rabbis, and and I'm today years old when I found this out in my doing my study. Um, the rabbis, when they taught here in the um, outer court, they would sit and their disciples would group around them, but they would sit and they would speak in a normal tone of voice, maybe a teaching tone of voice, a, a um, pedagogical tone of voice, but they, they were not crying out. Jesus stands up in the middle of this last day and cries out. Okay. He stands and cries out. That should, that should make clear to us the import of the message he's going to bring. And of course, it's easy to look over the the rest of that verse in the next verse and go, well, that doesn't sound like that. That's a, that, that it's that big of a deal. What you're missing and what I would have, I was missing before doing my study is basically that's the gospel right there. He gives the gospel right there. This is the last day of the feast and, and some discussion and particularly Matthew Henry was very, very thorough about this. Um, talking about the fact, some of the reasons he might've done it here. And, and I think those are valid to look at. We don't know. It doesn't specifically say that, um, say it in here, but think about it. This is the last day of the feast. The last day, all these people are going to be together before they disperse. He's only six months out from being crucified. Some of these people may never hear this again. So he is, he is just driven. He's got the unction driving him to stand and cry out in the middle of the outer court. Shouldn't we? I mean, the gospel is as critical now as it was then. It's even more so, I would think. We're get, the, the fact is, every day longer we live is that day closer to Christ's return. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to prophesy that that Christ is returning next week or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but it's just it's just a numerical fact that each day longer we go is that day, that many that that much closer we are to Christ's return. So it's that much more important that the gospel get out there. So Christ is driven at that point to stand and cry out. And he goes on to say, so let's talk about what he's saying. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. All right. So most of the commentators I ran across lay this down to. So here is something that does not come out of the scripture, but had become practice, had become practice in that time. On during this, um, during this, this feast, this eight days of feast, starting in the first day and going to the seventh day as part of their celebration, the, um, the priests would go to the pool of Siloam, get a pitcher of water and would come back and would pour it out around the altar, would pour it out around the altar. And it was supposed to be in memory. So this is the feast of booths. Feast of Tabernacles, a reminder, a remembrance of their time traveling through the desert, through the wilderness for 40 years. So the, the pouring of the water like that was a remembrance of the water being given to them by God from the rocks themselves. Okay, so this was a remembrance. And again, this wasn't something driven by Scripture, okay? This wasn't something motivated by Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture scripture that pushes that celebration, but it had become practiced by this time, by first century, by the first century in Palestine among the Jews. So he's making a play on that if anyone is thirsty, because again, God had provided the water for those who thirsted. So he's, he's using that reference. But again, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now we've already seen him use that those who thirst, we shoot (laughs) those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, he speaks of it in the um, sermon on the Mount. We've seen him. We see him speak on it. He, He calls himself the bread of life. He's very, very clear. 
that those who thirst and hunger come to him. He's even specifically stated this to the Samaritan woman about a, a fountain of living water. So he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty for righteousness, is if anyone is thirsty for salvation, let him come to me and drink. Come and drink of that salvation. Come and drink of my blood like we do our, um, our uh, wow, Lord's Supper. Come and drink of my blood, that blood that washes you clean and bought your forgiveness, paid the price for your sins. So if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then he goes on, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So again, there's, um, again, he who believes in me, he who comes to a saving faith in Christ, that's what he's saying, as the scripture said, and again, there are multiple scriptures and, and I'm not, I'm not going to run through all of them. Um, I'm, I'm honestly not even going to quote them. There's Isaiah, there's Jeremiah, um, there's in the Psalms that speaks of rivers of living water, rivers of living water from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Again, we are, we are not to be. So of course, John goes on and, and, and John, the apostle goes on and makes clear, but this, he spoke of the spirit. He's speaking of the spirit, the, the rivers of living water. Um, and that if we truly believe, if we truly thirst and we come to him and we drink, what he's saying is that that should then flow out of us that we're not to be this cistern that it pours into and stops. We're not to be a closed valve. We should be like an open hose where it flows in and it flows out. The grace and mercy of God flows in, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ flows in, and it flows back out, and we should manifest it to those. And of course, in this case, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, we know that, that until Jesus is glorified, till he ascends, the Holy Spirit is not given out to the apostles at, at uh, Pentecost. Again, that's what he's speaking of. But what he is saying to them is that he who believes, he who is a true believer, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, water that gives life, water that gives eternal life. Again, the scriptures that, that are referred to across the Old Testament that Jesus is referencing here, rivers of living water, the majority of them spoke of living water as in that water being water of eternal life, water of salvation, water of deliverance. That's what he's speaking of here. So Jesus is giving them the gospel. If you thirst, if you thirst for salvation, come to me and drink, not go to anybody else. He's being very specific. Come to me and only me and drink. And if you truly believe in me, as the scripture said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The spirit will flow into you and flow out of you and will bless all around you. You will manifest God, you will manifest Christ here among your neighbors. That's what Jesus is saying there. That's what he's trying to get across to them. He's giving the gospel and he's doing it. And of course, that's the thing. It's really easy to go, oh, well, he's in the middle of a festival and he says this. Who cares? Except like I said, he stands and cries out, which is so different from every other behavior there that it will obviously draw the attention to him. So like I said, so we've got Jesus given the gospel here at the end of the Feast of Booths, six months out from when he's going to come back for the Passover and he's going to be crucified and he's going to be risen again. And he's going to be risen, excuse me. So again, as we move on, so life's ultimate question, how are we going to handle Christ? So here was the invitation. So over the next couple of days, next couple of nights, like I said, we're going to deal with um, the responses, the responses to Christ's invitation.
How are these people going to handle Jesus Christ? So I would ask the question of you. Be thinking about it as we move along. How are you going to handle Jesus Christ? There's really only one way to handle him, and that's to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And Lord comes first. Be aware, Lord comes first. Um, as Pastor Jay, we've got a new church shirt out there, and it's got on the front that we are doulos, and he is curious. We are slaves, and he is Lord. Are you ready to be a slave of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I know I am. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up for the evening. We're going to go ahead and close out with our third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us, let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet. And with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope you have a good night's sleep. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.